I am about to pray, but while I'm praying, if you think about it, uh, please pray for your pastor this morning. Father, thank you so much that we get to gather here together as a body of believers, as sons and daughters, to worship you through song, through giving, through prayer, through your word. And I ask that this morning you would give us a spirit of revelation into your word. Allow us to better understand what your word says. Protect our hearts from trying to manipulate it into what we want it to say. But allow us to read it and to understand it for what you have meant it to say. And so I ask that you would use this time to encourage your children. Use this time, Holy Spirit, to convict and rebuke those that have been just living in sin. Who believe that their secret sins are not seen by you. Lead those children back to you. Reveal your marvelous glory to them. And Father, I pray for those who do not believe right now that are in this room. That you would soften their hearts to this glorious gospel. That you would give them a new heart. And allow them to see the beauty of your son Jesus. Would you allow this time to bear much fruit this morning? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you need a copy of God's word, one of our ushers can bring it to you. Today we will be in Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And in the passage that we are looking at this morning, we get introduced to the long-awaited one who was to prepare the way for the Lord. See, God had been silent for the past 400 years when it came to speaking through a prophet. He had shown up to Zechariah and Elizabeth and Joseph and Mary through the angel, but God had not sent a mouthpiece, a prophet, for the past 400 years. He was silent in regards to that. And at this point, only a handful of people knew what John's mission would look like. His parents and Joseph and Mary. And at this point, most likely, out of the four, three of them are dead. (laughs) And so now, really, it's only Mary. And so 18 years later, what we're going to see is John show up on the scene. And so what Luke does in his very journalist style is he introduces seven men And then another man, John. He starts with who is in charge and then goes to the center of the passage. And then we see what John's mission is by 
Luke quoting an Old Testament passage from Isaiah. Starting in verse 1, the passage says, In the 15th year of the region of Tiberius, Caesar, Pontius Pilate being governor of Judah, or Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Etruria, and Trachonitis, and Laesinias, tetrarch of Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah, the prophet, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight and the rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Recently, Sharice and I, we were sitting around our our dinner table and we were, we were talking about what it feels like right now and what it would feel like later on when Haddon is older and if we have more children, they're older, what it's like to prepare a meal for them. Sharice and I started talking about all of the meals that had been prepared for us as we were growing up, and we started talking about our favorite meals that our parents prepared for us, and maybe the less favorite meals that our parents made for us. And I found out very quickly that uh, I did not eat the healthiest growing up with all of the, the shake and bake and chicken stuff and casserole that was, was made uh, for us. But then we realized how often it was that our parents prepared a meal for us, but yet we never took the time to really acknowledge it. You just kind of assume that the meal is going to be there for you when you're a child. But behind the scenes, as parents, you're diligently preparing food. And yet, you're never really getting acknowledged for preparing the food. (laughs) That is, until you go out to fast food and somebody else prepares it, and then it's acknowledged. See, most of the time, we struggle with being the preparer. It's hard to be the preparer. And when it's hard to be the preparer, normally what we do is we then look to somebody else to prepare. But what we see God teaching us in this passage is that God uses the least likely to prepare the way for Jesus. If we start out in verses 1 and a little bit of 
verse 2, we see in the 15th year of the region of Tiberias, Caesar, Pontius Pilate, being governor of Judea, and Herod being tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Itria, and Trachnidus, and Lasanias, tetrarch of Abilene. I, I tried to prepare for that, but forgive me, I don't have a PhD in, in old Greek cities. <clears throat> but we, we come to this, and we ask the question, maybe scratching our heads, why in the world did John or did Luke feel the need to add this little section here? See, John or Luke had also added the section during the high priesthood of Annas in Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zacharias in the wilderness. So we see seven people here. And we kind of scratch our head and ask, Luke, why in the world did you add this part? Well, one, we know because Luke has this journalist mentality. He wants to throw in tidbits about what's going on here during uh, this time. And so, Luke is adding this to show us who is in reign. He's showing us a historical context here. This is who Pontius Pilate was all the way to this is who the, priest, who the priesthood is. These are the big shots of the day. These are the influencers, the movers and groovers, the, the shakers of the day. Those that got stuff done. They were the rich and famous. And so Luke, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writes them down. But the Holy Spirit, I think, is drawing out something even deeper here. As we see in verse 2, the word of God came to John the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And so almost as if Luke thought Theophilus, the man he was writing to, may have forgotten because he was so caught up in the verses before talking about Jesus and this miraculous birth, we are reintroduced to John and Luke is now putting an eighth person into uh, the seven people. We see in the matter of two verses, Luke is talking about eight people. Why is that? Well, we'll see that, but for now, I want to kind of focus on, on John. See, there's something interesting that's going on here that out of the other seven people, this is talked about John. It says, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. We know that the word of God came to John and that John was in the wilderness when the word of God came to him. Oh, how much better is it to be in the wilderness and the word of God come to you than sitting on a throne with no word of God coming to you. And so we see that the word of, the word of God came to John. John, the... 
The one that gets the rap for kind of being the weirdo. See, John comes on the scene out of the wilderness almost as if the sun had kind of uh, baked his brains. John comes strolling into the scene dressed in camel's hair, we are told, with a leather belt around his waist. And, and for whatever reason, we are told that what his diet as well, which is honey and bugs. And yet, and yet, we are told that the word of God came to John, this camel hair wearing, leather belt strapping, honey and bug eating guy. I wonder how many of you are familiar with the man David Brainerd. Anyone? I'm not talking about David Banner, the the American hip-hop artist. I'm sure we've got a lot of hip-hop fans in here. But I'm talking about David Brainerd. Anything but that, David Brainerd was a 17th century missionary to Native Americans. David Brainerd, at the age of nine, was orphaned because both of his parents had died in the span of five years. First his father and then his mother. He then went to go live with his sister, Drushra. He lived in the northeast of America, well, of what was America at the time. So David Brainer had a, a conversion and felt like he must go into ministry. And so he went to school and a few months while being in school, he started coughing up blood, which they think now was probably tuberculosis. And he was sent home for a while and then he came back and in his third year of schooling he was expelled because it was rumored that he had said that his tutor had no more grace than a wooden chair. It ate him alive because at that time you were not allowed to become an ordained minister unless you had a degree from a college. And so as life went on, this passion to see people come to know Jesus grew in David Brainerd. And so what David Brainerd did is he hopped on a horse and went from Native American tribe to Native American tribe sharing and evangelizing the hope that had been imparted to him that Jesus had died for his sins. And the only reason why I know about David Brainerd is because right now I'm reading his biography. And boy, the struggles that this man went through, the loneliness that he faced. Wanting to have a, a wife and children, but seeing that it just wasn't in the cards. Seeing so little success time after time. The only people he could call family were the wild animals that were trying to eat him. David Brainerd would find some success in, in a tribe. He would see some people come to know Jesus, but 
through the elements of the weather, ended up getting really sick. And ended up dying at the age of 28. And this is my question to us. Would you expect for God to use a little orphaned boy to pack his bags, jump on a horse, ride from Native American tribe to Native American tribe, sharing about the hope that is within him? Probably not. If I'm just being totally honest up here, if you were to ask me that, I could say, I guess he could do that. But I probably wouldn't be 100% sure. Why? Because, Because the way that we think down here is not the way that God thinks. Our economy is completely and utterly different than God's economy. God's ways are different than our ways. Do we not? Rejoice when we hear about some famous athlete or actor or somebody who says that they're a Christian with the hope that now that they have influence in a platform, everyone's going to come to know Jesus? Do we not look at people like that and expect so much from them and so little from ourselves? See, but what the Word of God tells us time and time again is that God uses the least likely. He uses Moses, the stuttering murderer. He used Rahab, the Gentile prostitute. He used David, the adulterous king. He used Mary, the little virgin Jewish woman. He uses this kind of weird John the Baptist character that we're looking at today. God uses the woman at the well. He used Peter, the uneducated fisherman. He uses Mary Magdalene, the one who just wants to stay busy. He uses Paul, the persecutor. God's ways are not our ways. God looks at the least likely and says, this is who I am going to use to advance my kingdom. He wants to use us, community church. He does. We don't need a platform. We don't need to be rich and famous. We don't need to have influence. We only need to be obedient. So you may be thinking right now, obedient in in what though, Max? Well, we see that God uses the least likely to prepare the way for Jesus by proclaiming the hope that is within us. This is exactly what Peter tells us to do. Proclaim the hope that is within you. And so what John doing with the word of God coming to him, we are told In verse 3, and he went into all the regions around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. We We are told when the word came to John, John went into all of the region around the Jordan. He went. 
Do we go? Are we a church that goes? See, we are told that when the word came to John, he went to all of the the region to proclaim. Proclaim what? Proclaim a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And so what I want to do is just work our way from backwards to forwards on this. John came to proclaim forgiveness of sins. But why would we proclaim this? Isn't isn't this sin word kind of culturally irrelevant now for us? It's kind of mean and rude to talk about sin. Oh, brothers and sisters, let us not be tricked by this. It is our sin that damns us to hell. It is our sin which God's wrath is on. It is our sin that causes us to be an enemy. It is our sin that causes us to be dead in our trespasses. It is our sin that needs forgiveness. This is why we are to proclaim hope. Because in this is love. Not that you have loved me first, but that I have loved you by sending my son as a propitiation for your sins. John is proclaiming hope by saying, your sins can be forgiven. Your sins can be forgiven by God. But how? By repenting. Although, although we are not saved by our works, it is a complete and merciful act by God. We are called to action. And so what John is doing is calling, or what John is doing is calling those people he's proclaiming to, to an action. Repent. Repent of your sins, which is a mark of forgiveness. See, when we have the Holy Spirit within us, we are enabled to repent of our sins. I'm afraid that the word repent has turned into a noun. The word repent is not a noun, it is a verb. Repent means to get up and turn around. And so what John is saying is if you are living in reality of being forgiven of your sins, you will get up from your sins and you will turn and you will run from your sins. You won't just say I've repented and I've asked Jesus into my heart and continue to live in your sins. If you have truly believed that Jesus has died for your sins and you've accepted this forgiveness, then repentance is sure to come. Brothers and sisters, is this not a good thing? How many times have you been living, have have I, Max, been living in my sin and then the Spirit convicts me? Oh, that is such a gut-wrenching but beautiful feeling, knowing that my Father has not 
forsaken or forgotten me. And so John is telling his fellow Jewish people, if you have truly been forgiven of your sins and you will truly repent of them and turn from them, and then lastly, you will be baptized. This is why as Baptists we believe that when you repent of your sins, then you are to be baptized. It is a public profession. It is the first act of obedience. See, when the Jewish people were being baptized, they were signifying Look at those Gentiles. I'm worse than those Gentiles. Which for a a Jewish person at the time was the most extreme way to say, I am no better than those Gentiles. And so I must be baptized. Not that baptism saves us. Please don't hear me say that. But that Baptism requires some obedience from repenting of your sins and trusting that Jesus has forgiven you. And so I am reminded of the Philippian jailer in in Acts 16. who, Who beat Paul and Silas, imprisoned them, and during the night, I don't know if it was to annoy the, the guard or not, Paul and Silas decide to sing songs the entire night. So much so that, that a, a miraculous earthquake happens, all of the doors open and the prisoners could walk free, but they don't. And this jailer is about to fall on his sword because he's so freaked out. And Paul says, don't, don't do that. We're all here. Paul and Silas take time to share this good news to them, to this jailer. And this jailer asks, well, then how is it that I can be saved? And Paul and Silas say, repent and believe in Jesus Christ, the Lord. And so we see later on in that passage, this mark of obedience as this jailer is baptized. This is an amazing, it's an amazing story. It's an amazing act of obedience that we see right away. We see Paul and Silas preparing the way for this man to Jesus. And so I must ask us, where is your region? Where is your region that you will go to? Yes, the the Fox Valley may be your region, but where else? Is it your job? Maybe your family? A school that you're at? Maybe the golf course? Where is your region? If the word of God has come to us, then we must find our region and go to all of it. 
Not just some of it, brothers and sisters. But all of it. We have a responsibility since the word of God has come to us to prepare the way for Jesus by proclaiming the hope that is within us. Are we doing that? Are we? But we still must ask one more important question. We know who God uses. We know what to proclaim. That's the hope that is within us. But how are we to prepare the way? Well, we see in verses 4 and 6 how we are to do this. God uses the least likely to prepare the way for Jesus by planting and watering seeds. This is what Jesus himself even says that we are to do. We are to be like farmers to plant the seed. We don't know which soil it's going to be planted on. Nonetheless, we are still asked to plant the seed. And so we see verses 4 through 6 this. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, the voice of the one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Each valley shall be filled and every mountain and hill shall be made low. And the crooked shall become straight, and the rough places shall become level ways, and all flesh shall see the salvation of God. Luke quotes the prophet Isaiah to show that this isn't just some Uncle Joe coming out from the back of the woods. This isn't a sun-baked man who's been living in the desert. No, this man was prophesied about. And he has come to prepare the way of the Lord. And how is he to do this? By planting and watering the seed of the gospel. Repent. For the forgiveness of sins. John says repent. For the kingdom is at hand. Repent. And believe in Jesus. John even goes so far to say when there's a dispute going on of who's better or who's baptized more people, he tells his disciples, I must decrease so Jesus can increase. He's coming to plant the seed of the gospel for his hearers. He's not just come to proclaim some type of nonsense. And so he does this. We see. By every valley shall be filled. Jesus wants to exalt the humble. And every mountain and hill shall be made low. And, and he wants to knock the proud and arrogant off their pedestals. And we see the crooked shall become straight. He's given mercy to the outcasts. And the rough places shall become level ways. And he wants to extend love to the loveless. John has come to prepare the way, that is all. 
Let me put it this way for us. There were four friends sitting around a table having a drink. It started in the early evening and went late into the night. Their conversation ranged from their family to theological topics like justification by faith alone to spiritual disciplines in their own life to sin that they were fighting to the evangelism eventually that that they had been doing and they camped out and stopped on this topic for a bit. And so the four friends sitting around this table having a drink started to brag about how many people they have saved. The the first friend said, in the past year, I've saved 76 people. And the second friend then went out of his way to say, well, in the past year, I've saved 102 people. And, And then the third friend, it came to him and he said, well, I've saved in the past year 176 people. And their jaws dropped and it came to the fourth friend. And this fourth friend looking kind of flustered kind of choked up, didn't really know what to say. One of his friends said, he's, he's too embarrassed to say. And the other friends started to laugh. But actually, this fourth friend leaned forward and he said this. Now, I don't believe my shoulders are heavy enough to save anyone. What I do is prepare the way for them to lay their sin on the shoulders of Jesus. And he does the saving. Oh, brothers and sisters. We have been called to prepare the way for others to come and lay their sins on the shoulders of Jesus. No more, no less. We cannot save anyone, but we can point them to the one who can. We can ultimately not bring rest and comfort, but we can point them to the one who can. We cannot take away addiction. We cannot take away sin, but we can point to the one who can. And so we must Prepare the way for Jesus as well. We must plant and water the seeds of hope. That is what we have been called to do. Is to prepare the way for the Lord. You know, halfway through this sermon, it it dawned on me. I realized this, church. We... We here at Community Church are the least likely, not just individually, as you are, as I am, but Community Church of Appleton is the least likely, right? I mean, think about it. Young pastor, An older congregation. Does it really make sense? But yet, out of God's sovereignty, He has married us both. And what a wonderful time it has been. But let's just be real. This is a very unlikely circumstance that is before our eyes. 
And yet God wants to use us to do very extraordinary things. But how is he going to do that? I don't know. But what I do know is that we are called to be obedient, to be the preparers. And so we shouldn't ask how we should just do and see how. There are people in our neighborhood here who need to hear the gospel. Let me ask this question to us, church. If our doors were to close tomorrow, would anybody in our neighborhood right here notice? We must ask these hard questions and know that we are to be preparers. No more, no less. Just to prepare the way for the one to come. We are to care for the outcasts, the least likely, the sick, the hurting, the poor. And so let us be known, community church, as this least likely church off the beaten path, who's the most unlikely church that is being used for the most extraordinary things. This is what we see in this passage. It's that God, the word of God, calls out to John the Baptist, this hippie. John goes when the word of God comes to him and he prepares the way by proclaiming the full gospel, not half the gospel, the the whole gospel, the good news. That means the bad news that comes before the good news. And he just prepares the way. Let us follow like John and prepare the way for Jesus to do extraordinary things in people's hearts. If we want to see mountains moved here, let us pray. If we want to see mountains moved, let us prepare the way. Let's pray.